Back in April, Emily and I had a wonderful holiday in the Lake District. It was to be a special time with my family. My dad had just had his 70th birthday and my parents were celebrating their 40th wedding anniversary. And the reason that the Lake District was so significant was because that's where they'd had their honeymoon, right back in 1982. So to mark all this, my brother and I clubbed together and we booked a holiday cottage in a stunning location. Now, my holidays usually consist of wild camping. I like to slum it on holiday to do it as cheap as possible. So for me, this was luxury. The cottage we booked was uh, an old converted boathouse on the banks of Lake Windermere. It had this big glass frontage just above the level of the lake. And you could sit in the lounge and look out across the water. Just imagine the scene with me. You could see the birds landing and taking off. You could see the odd rower sculling by. On the opposite bank, you could see hills and forests, even a castle to absolutely perfect the view. And then there was the light in the evening. It was absolutely beautiful. The sun set across the lake. The water became like a mirror. You could see oranges and pinks and violets and purples. It was stunning, like something out of a film. Now, with that view and that incredible light, you would think that we would have spent every evening just gazing at it, drinking it all in. You would have thought that, wouldn't you? But no, that is not what happened at all. You see, my two nephews thought this wonderful light was a bit of a distraction. In fact, it was so bright, it was spoiling their fun. They couldn't see their favourite programmes on TV properly with the light streaming through the window. So as soon as we got home each evening, the first thing they did was run straight up to the curtains and pull them as tight as they could. They shut the light out to such an extent we had to put lamps on in order to be able to see where we were going and not bump into things around the cottage. Honestly, I did not get a proper look at that view until the last night when they'd gone home a day early. Now, I love my nephews dearly, and at 10 and 6, they can certainly be forgiven for their digital obsession. But I do hope that they will grow up to appreciate beauty like that, to allow a little light into their souls. In our passage today, we're going to read of something very similar. We're going to read of the most beautiful light coming into the world. A light that wants and deserves to be seen and enjoyed. Yet perversely, human beings choose to shut the light out. They shut it out. They, they pull the curtains of their lives tight shut and go back to their own amusements. And it's a a terribly sad state of affairs, and it's a warning to us all. But don't worry, we will finish with a wonderful promise of what happens if we do pull back the curtains and truly allow the light in. Because light that beautiful transforms everything that it falls upon. It brings hope, joy, and peace to the beholder. For our Advent series, we as a church are reading through the opening chapter of John's Gospel. 
A very famous passage that's read in nearly every carol service across the land. Let me just remind us where we've got up to so far. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing that is made has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So far, we've thought about Jesus as the eternal word of God. He is fully God, one with the Father and the Spirit. He was present before the creation of the world. Indeed, all things came into being through him. Jesus is fully divine. He has been, is, and always will be. And for that reason, he deserves our worship. But we've also begun to see that alongside giving birth to the world all that time ago, our God has remained passionately connected to it. And when he saw things going wrong, he resolved to do something about it. As human sin and evil brought death and darkness crashing into the world, God took the steps required to overcome that with life and light once more. And he did that by taking up life and entering the world himself. The divine word took on human form. He became known as Jesus. And here then is perhaps the most important lesson of the whole Christmas season. Our God, mighty and holy and sovereign as he is, is not indifferent to the plight of his creatures In fact, our God loves his world so much, he could not care more about it. He loves it so much, he would personally come to rescue it. And John describes this arrival of God from heaven to earth as the coming of a great light. A light so illuminating, it lights up all of mankind. A light so powerful, once it shines in the darkness, the darkness simply cannot overcome it this is a light of utmost beauty a light that brings hope to the despairing joy to the grieving peace to the fearful love to the loveless this is a light that transforms everything it touches make it even the most ugly and mundane radiant Now, as our next section begins, it becomes clear that God's love for his world is so great that he doesn't just send the light. He takes extra steps to make sure as many people as possible get to see it. Let me read again what comes next. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all might believe He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. At this time of year, we're bombarded by adverts, aren't we? They're everywhere we look. Shop windows, pop-ups online, commercials at halftime in the football, billboards, magazines, leaflets through the door. They're everywhere. And all these adverts are trying to direct our attention to new Christmas products that have become available. 
They're trying to create such a fever pitch of anticipation that we rush out and buy them. We see adverts for the latest toys to be bought as presents, food for the festive table, even how to treat your pet at Christmas time. And you can guarantee that as soon as Boxing Day comes, there'll be adverts for sofas on the telly. We're bombarded by adverts because companies don't want us to miss out. And of course, they have a vested interest. They personally profit from our purchases. God clearly believes that the coming of the word into the world, the arrival of this beautiful light, was an event of such magnitude he didn't want anyone to miss out. And of course, God too has a vested interest because God loves his people and he loves his world. And the more people that turn to the light, the more the damage that has been done that gets repaired. So what does God do? He sends a walking, talking advert. He sends John the Baptist ahead of Jesus. John the Baptist himself wasn't the light. His job was to point to the light. His role was to encourage and urge and plead with people to take notice of Jesus when he arrives. To allow his wonderful light to fill their lives. I really do hope that we get a sense of what's going on here. That God deeply, deeply loves us. He's in pursuit of us. His heart longs for us. The Bible tells us that long before we loved God, God loved us. When things had gone disastrously wrong, he set out to rescue us. We cannot save ourselves. We just walk towards the light, respond to Jesus' gracious appearing. So the gospel begins with God sending Jesus, the light of the world, and John the Baptist urges us, look at the light. Take the light in. Allow it into your life. And I'm doing exactly the same right now. But now we come to the moment of great sadness. We come to my nephews pulling the curtains tightly shut. When such beauty is available, it sounds an utterly perverse thing to do. But we're so consumed by our own amusements that so many human beings do it right up to the present day. Let me read verses 10 and 11. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This week, the Office for National Statistics released some more of the results from the recent census. And they told us that for the first time since the Middle Ages, less than 50% of the UK population consider themselves Christian. You see, the world still doesn't recognize the light. In fact, in the West, an increasing number of people are deliberately blocking the light out. And you know, it's a truth about light that it leaves no place to hide. 
When a light is shone on a human being, it exposes them for all to see. Everyone can see how we respond and react to a given situation. And so too it is with Jesus. He came into the world as this bright light and God can see clearly how we respond to him. When John uses the word world in this verse, he's referring to the realm of people that live in rebellion against God. And this is a deliberate choice. God has given everyone access to the light, but sadly many prefer to remain in darkness. And the greatest tragedy of all is that includes many of God's own people, Israel. When Jesus appeared and walked the dusty streets of the Middle East, his own people dismissed his claims and shut their eyes and their ears to the evidence and eventually led to his destruction on the cross. Now this is in no way grounds for anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism is an abomination. But John puts this remark in here to make us aware just how rock hard the human heart can be. It seems utter madness to shut out the the most beautiful light that has ever shone, but the reality is that many do. Even those who are steeped in the scriptures. You see, the pull of sin is so strong. Our attachment to material things is so overwhelming. And our ego is is so selfish, we often think we know better or that God can just wait. We'll turn to him later, once we've had our fun, we think. But of course, the longer we put it off, the less likely we're to turn at all. If you can shut out the Lake District for Bob the Builder, you can shut out Jesus for money, sex and power. If you can pull the curtains on a beautiful sunset, you can turn away from the light of Christ and amuse yourself to death. This is the truth. And this week's census results prove it. Please, can we hear this warning? And can we heed it? Yet I promise that this passage finishes with good news, and indeed it does. I said a few moments ago that God's light is so bright that it exposes our response to Jesus. Well, just look what happens if God sees when we hear about Jesus that we do the opposite and we open our hearts to him. Verses 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. Here then is some wonderful news. Once God had sent the light into the world, and once preachers like John the Baptist had announced that light's arrival right down through the centuries, many people have indeed turned to receive him. What does it mean to receive Christ? Well, it means opening our hearts to listen and to learn from him. It means allowing his wonderful light in to the darkness of our lives. 
And you know, sometimes when that happens, the purity of that light will show up the sin that we're hiding in here. And we need to be ready to confess it and do what we can to remove it. But God promises to forgive. It means believing in Jesus' name, following the evidence, and coming to the conclusion that he is the truth. It means putting down our amusements and setting out to follow Jesus as wholeheartedly as we can. This is what it means to receive Christ. It's not a small thing. It's a determined and a devoted thing. It requires thought and action, confession and repentance, prayer and worship. But just look what happens if we do it. When we turn to embrace the light of Jesus, an incredible transformation takes place. We become children of God. To all who did receive him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. There are three beautiful things that we learn about faith from these verses that I'd like to very briefly mention. First of all, notice the universal scope of that faith. It's really emphasized in verse 12. To all who did receive. To all. That word all is very deliberate. You see, the gift of God comes irrespective of age or gender or race or background or social status or intelligence. In Jesus, the light shines for all. Literally anyone can walk into it. On a beautiful day like today, the sun shines down on everyone. And so it is with the kingdom of God. It is this place of radical inclusion, boundary-breaking equality. Anyone who welcomes the light of Christ into their life becomes a child of God. Second, notice the incredible new status that faith brings. We go from wanderers in the dark to members of the personal family of God. Children loved by the Father. Children welcomed into his presence. Children promised the greatest inheritance. The Bible tells us that all human beings are made in God's image and are therefore special. But those in God's family are even more honoured. As a child of God, we can speak to our Father any time. We can seek his help in any situation. We know for certain he's always working for our good. And one day we'll see him face to face and dwell in his loving presence forevermore. And finally, notice how these verses tell us that God plays a crucial part in faith. John really labours it. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor human husband's will, but born of God. In other words, it's God. And it's God alone that makes this wonderful transformation possible. You see, being born into the family of God is radically different to our human birth. It is God that makes it possible through sending Jesus as the light of the world. We play a small part. We walk towards the light and open the curtains of our hearts. 
But then God steps in and does the rest. He takes our faith and brings beautiful new life to bear. God is intimately and personally involved in new birth. And why is that good news? Well, just as no human mother or father will ever forget their baby or stop loving the child that they have brought to birth, neither will God ever let go of us. Yes, we must choose to receive the light. But it's God who made the light shine in the first place. And it's God who works the transformation when the light enters our hearts. And God loves his world so much he wants to do this for all people. The more children he has, the more pleased he is. And there we finish. It's the beautiful message of Christmas. The light of the world has come. A light so beautiful it brings hope and peace and joy and love to all who bask in its rays. A light so powerful it carries on shining in the darkest experiences of our lives. Let's not shut it out any longer, no matter what the reasons we may have done so up till now. Let's receive the light, believe in Jesus, and experience what it is to become children of God. And for those of us here this morning who did that a long time ago, let's now play the role of John a witness to this light that we know. Because amongst all the adverts of this season, this is the one that people really need to hear.